It's time for the show dedicated to information and interviews that affect you in the Granite State with Chris Ryan, New Hampshire Now. This show is very simply about questioning some of the key decision makers in the country and in our state about some of the top decisions of our times, including President Obama. Great to talk to you, Chris. Thanks for having me. The top interviews. Now look, Chris, I'm, I have to point out again, I'm a guy that stood fifth from the bottom of his class at the Naval Academy, and it shows that in America, anything is possible. I'm the luckiest guy you'll ever interview. The topics you care about most. America seems to uh, find the man or woman to fit the time. It's time for New Hampshire Now. And welcome to New Hampshire Now for the 21st day of November 2012. I am Chris Ryan. I want to thank you so much for joining us for the program. Great show coming up for you today. Of course, the Spurs and Matt Bonner in town tonight to take on the Boston Celtics. We'll be uh, hearing from Matt in just a little bit uh, on the program today. Also coming up, we'll be having a conversation with Brian McGrory of uh, the Boston Globe. He has a new book out, and we'll be uh, talking with him about that. Of course, he's a long time columnist down there and looking forward to, to that uh, thomas spells concord city manager will join us uh, just a little bit on the show also of course uh, the complete streets advisory committee uh, made their recommendation uh, to the concord city council as to what they'd like to see uh the complete streets uh, project look uh, like of course uh, this will be taking place over the next couple of years in downtown but the city council has to to vote and decide the direction they want to go in on Monday night, and uh, uh, Thomas Bell, city manager, he'll talk about that in the program coming up in just a little bit. Thanksgiving is tomorrow, so happy Thanksgiving to to everybody out there. It's one of my favorite holidays, without question. Uh, I get an opportunity for the family to come together, talk, have some good times, create some memories, and uh, the Thanksgiving holiday is, uh, if not my personal favorite holiday, right up there. Tomorrow on the New Hampshire Now program, it's our Thanksgiving tradition, a trip down to uh, to uh, Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts, and we'll learn about uh, the first Thanksgiving and uh, the pilgrims of some of the character actors down there at Plymouth Plantation. It'll come your way tomorrow on the New Hampshire Now program at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. We'll have our regularly, uh, regularly scheduled newscast uh, tomorrow. Uh, from 6 to 10 a.m. here on WKXL. And uh, we'll have some special programming, though, in the afternoon uh, with the best of New Hampshire now. Also, In Town Concord, a, a, a new edition of In Town Concord, will uh, air tomorrow, as will uh, Real Life uh, Stories from the Street uh, here in Concord as well. So that's from uh, 3 to 6 uh, tomorrow. And at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., we will have uh, our uh, very special uh, trip to Plymouth Plantation on the New Hampshire Now program. Also, uh, we're going to be heading down to Florida next week on the program for a Thursday and Friday. Things still coming together for uh, the trip, but uh, we're going to be heading down to Florida to uh, watch uh, Matt take on the Orlando Magic and the Miami Heat and have some uh, Florida-centric uh, type of programming from, from down there uh, as well. Hoping to uh, get out of one of those uh, airboats, look for some gators, do that on the program and also, um, we're working on uh, heading over to uh, Cape Canaveral uh, as well uh, on the New Hampshire Now program next week. And uh, that trip presented by the uh, Concord Orthopedics with help from the Barley House. I want to thank them for uh, allowing us to head down to uh, Florida to, uh, to bring you some phenomenal programming from uh, down there uh, on the New Hampshire Now program. I am Chris Ryan. I want to thank you so much for joining us for the show. And uh, interesting uh, topics of conversation, a lot of political over the last couple of days, it's interesting, you know, even though the election is over and supposedly people are tired of it and they, they don't really want to think about things moving forward, it's there's still, for people who are so engaged in the election, there is still that, that aftershock and that longing for more, and that has a 
decent discussion going on right now amongst political junkies and even some people were just drawn into the process about what's next and about 2016 about Mitt Romney where it went wrong and so forth and there is no more precipitous drop that in my mind in in any um, in any genre across this country than losing the battle for president of the United States outside of obviously you know scandal of some sort or person breaking the law and they uh, they can fall obviously very quickly based upon that but out of no wrongdoing per se there is no more precipitous drop than losing the the battle for the presidency you think about it one day you got your own secret service detail everyone's telling you how great you are you, everybody's making comparisons between you and and ronald reagan They're talking about the momentum at your rallies the fact you're set to be president your your wife's starting to Think about what curtains and changes she wants to make in the White, uh, White House. And next thing you know, it's all over. Nobody wants to talk to you. You're isolated. You're wondering what happened. You've been on this this rush. That's what it is. It's a, it's a continuous rush of doing interviews, phone calls, events, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, signing autographs. And all of a sudden, it's over. I mean, that has to be a, a tough, tough thing to deal with, and not many people can possibly understand what it's like. And obviously there's a couple, and John McCain and, and John Kerry, but from Romney it was different because a lot of it was hype, but um, he actually, I'm sure, thought he was going to win. And McCain knew he wasn't going to win. Kerry probably thought he was going to win. Gore's thing went on forever. Um, Dole knew he wasn't going to win. Bush already had been president, uh, which is obviously much different. If you already had, if you already been in the office and you're already the president of the United States, I can't imagine that it's going to be tough um, because you know it's a legacy thing. But putting all the work in for Romney, it was a six-year process. Uh, putting all that work in, doing everything right in your mind, and having it all kind of just go at it has to be terrible. Uh, but I'm sure he'll survive. But anyway, um, anybody, everybody has been talking about 2016. And I was surprised because, to be honest, I thought that, that the, the majority of the, the public and, and listeners of this program are ready to move on. But um, the posturing has begun. The names are being pushed about. Um, people are trying to assess in their own minds why what happened happened. Uh, whether it was the fact that Romney was not conservative enough, whether the GOP has serious demographical issues, whether they have to um, become more in line with uh, America in regards to social issues, or um, if they are not doing a good enough job of targeting um, low-information voters. And I would say, as I do in most situations, that it is a little bit of everything. And the GOP has to do a better job of, of targeting low-information low voters. That is how you win elections. It's plain and simple. Um, everybody was talking about, you know, the energy that Romney had and the rally here in, in New Hampshire at the Verizon Wireless Arena. And um, it was, if you, if you went to that event, it was, the, it was the best political event I've ever been to uh, in terms of energy, excitement. Everybody who was there thought that Mitt Romney was going to be the next president of the United States. And he thought it. And there was just that overwhelming energy. But um, although you have to turn out your base, 
uh, particularly in the President Obama's case, where the president has a larger base to um, uh, to to pick from, so to speak, and to get out to the polls. Uh, elections are won by individuals who don't follow this all that closely. Uh, choose individuals based upon likability and, to some degree, frivolity. Um, and those are the people that the GOPs do a better job of of targeting. It's interesting because. We've seen, in my mind, um, and it's interesting with with Warren Rudman passing as well. We've seen the uh, in in political th- theater, and and obviously the actual passing of Warren Rudman. We've seen the death of the moderate Republican, Charlie Bass, losing. Uh, and one could make the argument that the party would need to shift more back to the moderate Republican, um, the figure who Mitt Romney may have been in actuality. As opposed to uh, what is the the belief of the the core of the party that they need a true fiscal and social conservative uh, to captivate the country and to reform this government and the presidency. So that is going to be the battle we are going to see within the the party over the next number of years. Um, and there's going to be bar- battles of personality and there's going to be battles of philosophy. And it's going to be very interesting for political junkies such as myself, and I think for people who've been drawn into uh, the soap opera and the political theater, who are the figures who end up emerging in this presidential field? And you look at Politico today, and they have 18 potential candidates. And when you look at the the 18 people in this, they're Kelly Ayotte, uh, Michelle Bachman, Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Bobby Jindal, Susanna Martinez, Bob McConnell, uh, Rand Paul, Mike Pence, Rick Perry, uh, Rob Portman, Marco Rubio, Paul Ryan, as well as Rick Santorum, John Thune, and Scott Walker. I'd say that perhaps even more than half of that group could get into this, which is amazing. Um, And Christie is, I think that he is by far the most intriguing figure because he is in my mind a a moderate republican uh he is i think he's he's somewhat strong on fiscal issues uh but he also has the a penchant for uh the limelight and for uh missteps and is not the politically correct candidate and i think if the times are uh call for a candidate of his style i think he could have success uh, meaning if the country is in a precipitous decline, if there is uh, great concern once we get to you know, 2014, 2015, uh, about where the country is headed, I think that America may want somebody who is not the chiseled politician, is a straight talker, is an individual who um, is willing to, uh, to not play by the political rules. Um, Bobby Jindal and Marco Rubio, to me, Early on, are the uh, the prohibitive favorites for the 2016 nomination. Paul Ryan is in the mix as well, um, and social conservatives are going to have to decide who they're going to rally behind. Um, are they comfortable with a Rubio or a Jindal, or do they want somebody who is more to their core values, like a Rick Santorum or a Rick Perry, who could come back into the mix? And then there's Rand Paul. 
the uh, the dash of libertarianism, not uh, not as much as his as his father. He's more of a uh, traditional Republican than his father, but he is an individual who has stirred things up in the United States Senate and has that touch of uh, libertarianism, and uh, I think will would will have much more success than his father ever did. Uh, in the process, and he has mentioned that he wants to get in. So that's where the field is at. These are names we're going to become familiar with. These are fe- people who are going to be uh, coming uh, to the state of New Hampshire a lot over the next uh, couple of years, laying the groundwork, meeting uh, the grassroots people, the, the potential advisors, and so forth. So we'll be talking about it a lot over the, the coming years. Another name, John Thune, uh, you can throw him into that, that moderate Republican category along with, uh, with Christie. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this lines up over the next couple of years. And I've been amazed about the, the level of interest uh, in this campaign already uh, when we're just you know a couple of weeks removed from the 2016 election. Thanks so much for joining us for New Hampshire Now. I am Chris Ryan. Coming up next in the program, we're joined by city manager here in the city of Congress, Thomas Bell. Listen to New Hampshire Now on WKXL, airing live weekdays at 10 a.m., re-airing weeknights at 6 p.m. Sunday to WKXL airing live weekdays at 10 a.m. and re-airing weeknights at 6 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome back here on New Hampshire Now on WKXL 1 of the 9, 1450 and com. I am Chris Ryan. I want to thank you so much for joining us for the program. Matt Bonner in just a little bit. Also Brian McGrory from uh, the Boston Globe uh, talking about uh, his new book uh, coming up in uh, just a little bit on the program. I'm going to be joined right now by Thomas Bell. One of the bigger meetings in uh, recent memory uh, in regards to the city council on uh, Monday night, and uh, Tom joins us to discuss that and the Complete Streets Project. Uh, Tom, how are you? Very good. How are you, Chris? Great, and uh, wish uh, you and uh, your family uh, a very happy Thanksgiving. And before we get started here, um, because you never know where things will degenerate towards the end of it, and uh, maybe it might, I might not feel that way towards the end of the conversation. Um, but at the start, at, at least, I uh, wish Thank you happy you. Thanksgiving. Same to you. Um, so tell us a little bit about, about Monday night and the procedural aspect of things. And uh, this is, as I mentioned, uh, a, a huge night in terms of uh, the you're, you've been given what the advisory committee is recommending. Uh, the city council is then going to, to make their own uh, determinations about uh, how to uh, bring this moving forward. Well, the uh, city council uh, has set actually a special, this is unusual in the sense that they set a, a whole night aside for one item. This is the only item on the agenda, and uh, the council will, will have the meeting at 7 o'clock and uh, have an open public hearing for anyone who wants to come and speak in terms of uh, the project and uh, all the work done by the um, Downtown Complete Streets Project Advisory Committee, which the mayor set up. I believe that's about 17 members. So they've issued a report. I believe it came out on the 16th of November, and it's been out there available to the public. So the council is now interested in seeing what the uh, community as a whole has said. There's been 
copious amounts of emails and letters and contacts to city councilors and the city staff, and uh, that's all uh, either contained in the report or in, in appendixes, uh, all the emails and whatnot. So um, at this point, the council will uh, open the public hearing, take all that comment, and then um, upon closure of the public hearing, whatever that may be, um, then deliberate and determine whether or not uh, to move forward uh, with, the, with the project and in what form, um, and really act, I believe, primarily act on the report that was issued dated November 16th with the, uh, uh, I believe, um, I think it's about 17 or 19 pages. Yeah. So there's a lot lot there, uh, 22 pages, I'm sorry. Um, so there's a lot there, and they'll be uh, interested to in see what the community thinks. What are your thoughts on the on the report and the the project uh, itself? And we talked with uh, Steve Dupree on the program on uh, Friday after their their final meeting, and uh, obviously they they were able to reach unanimous um, an unanimous decision regards to the the report. But there there still seem to be a lot of differing thoughts in regards to to where this project should be uh, heading forward. Um, what's the the tangible loss in regards to uh, to parking spaces versus what's the perception of that loss in regards to parking spaces on Main Street? Whether there needs to be more signage, which I think is a really key point for the parking garages. Um, whether uh, or not the the spaces should be uh, decreased in terms of their size from uh, from 18 to 15 uh, feet, the uh, parallel parking on one side of the road, how big the sidewalk should be. Even though this report was issued, it seems that there is still um, a lot of things that are far from decided in regards to this process, but that decision is going to have to be met, obviously, in a very short period of time. That, that, that's exactly right, and uh, I think the the committee did a good job, essentially defining the parameters of what a uh, a successful project could be defined as. So, as you exactly right, Chris, in the sense that they've laid out um, different pieces, say say for the parking, um, if and say for the width of the sidewalks, and and obviously identified um, some uh, things that need to be done anyways in terms of signage and and advertising and whatnot. So. Uh, looking at all those points, I think what the council will do is determine whether or not those uh, those points are something or those recommendations or those parameters that uh, the committee has recommended that the city work, work work in that whether or not those are appropriate and whether the council as a as a as a group agrees with that and so I could see the council determining probably going line by line in terms of what those recommendations are and saying either they agree or they there's something else to direction they would like to go in, particularly based on the public comment. So um, I, I think really the idea here is going to be the committee set up a uh, set of parameters. The council will probably def- redefine them in some fashion or, or could uh, or, you know, obviously approve them or reject them and then really give the direction to the city staff and, and therefore and then through us to our consultants to design the project based within those parameters that the city council determines are, are what, we, what we need to do. And it's good that they left, at least the committees from the, at least where it is right today, they left that flexibility in there because I think what we're going to find as we get down and do the designs, you know, the, the devil's in the details, but also there's opportunity in those details. So I think as we start defining how many how many uh, parking spaces we we need to have, or if we, what we can maximize? I think we're going to find opportunities to meet more of uh, the needs that were identified, or the ideas that were identified in this report, and whatever comes out of the public hearing, uh, to make uh, 
an even a better project. So, um, based on what I've seen to date, I, I have no no uh, concern that this won't be a, a large success. The real question is how big of a success can we make it? And in your mind, I mean, th- there's a lot of talk. Uh, and to be quite honest, the uh, the um, the committee hearings were were must watch television. I'm not sure if you watched them, but I, I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't stop watching it. The Dupree did a fabulous job in the in uh, as the uh, chair. Uh, which made it move, move and was interesting, but the, you had all these different personalities, and it was it was very interesting. It was very it was like it was like a reality show. Um, but one of the things that really came from it, uh, as I mentioned before, was the fact that uh, there's this was more of a um, a recommendation, which it was in essence. Um, but there, there's also a uh, a feeling that there is a an urgency in regards to this project, and that you you don't get these opportunities um, a lot as a city, and 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 you well know this as you're always you know scrapping and clawing for federal dollars for for various projects and trying to make the most out of uh, any dollars that you get um is there you know a pressure or a sense of urgency um to make sure that this is done right so that you can maximize this and you mentioned it's going to be it's going to be beneficial but it has the the opportunity if it is done correctly and perfectly to to really shape um the downtown for generations to come you're right it, it could be a transformative project and that's what i believe the council is looking for so when you get when you get an advisory committee that puts together recommendations by by just the very nature, they look at compromises, they look at uh, what things work together, what things don't work together. And that's what the city council is really going to have to judge, is determining whether or not uh, the right pieces uh, are all going to work together. I think the key will come based on the, the specific designs that our consultant and the city staff work towards, working with the uh, the group as it looks like they wish to continue in some form as a sounding board, so to speak. And making sure that we we meet the, with the needs of the not only the downtown in terms of the property owners and the merchants and the users, but the entire community as a whole. Main Street really is for the entire community, and not, and it goes obviously beyond the city of Concord. But for for the taxpayers and for the for the citizens of this community, we got to make sure it, it meets as many people's needs as we possibly can, without getting to the point where you where you water everything down that they don't the pieces don't work together um, this is this is a you're, you're right in terms of urgency this is a uh, once in a generational type of project that comes along uh, and we've had actually a few of these in Concord now over the last decade or so um, Langley Parkway was you know 50 years in the making uh, you get a, you got one shot to do it right we did it right it came out it came out great and it's overperforming you know the, the construction of regional drive i think the work on route 3 north i mean all these projects you get in there you do once and you we're not going to be back in there uh doing it again well uh, sewell's falls bridge will be the same type of thing but this one here is just much more visible and obviously more expensive than most so you got to do it right and uh council is very aware of not only the the opportunity here but also the timing we really need a decision coming up for the council in, the, in very short order here uh, so we can stay on the timeline and meet the federal requirements to take advantage of the federal dollars. Final thing, there's obviously the, the construction aspect of it and the design, but um, it's also a, a, a time where all the other things that have to go into a successful Main Street um, have to be in place as well. And the city of Concord deserves a lot of credit for for uh, for going out and pursuing this type of project and all these types of projects, given the economy and having that forward uh, thinking uh, that we've not seen in a lot of communities. 
But um, what is the city prepared to do in terms of um, an infrastructure around this, whether it's a, a social infrastructure, um, whether it's a development infrastructure, um, to make sure that, 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 these, that this moment is capitalized beyond just the construction aspect? Well, there's very good, very good questions. The I'll give you an example on my desk right now. Just before you called, I was going over the draft RFP for the Employment Security Building. Uh, as you know, we're working with the state of New Hampshire, who owns that building, to make sure that building gets redeveloped in a way that is takes advantage of this project and is is and is um, reinforced by this project. So you have. You have that piece going on. You have uh, the work that we're doing with the Endicott Hotel folks. I mean, one of the big things, you know, if you look at two major pieces of what people really do want in downtown, they want market rate housing and they want upper story redevelopment. Well, in one fell swoop, you're hitting you're hitting both of those at a at a very important location right at the the center of what is really, if you look at now how downtown is redeveloping, the center is moving from probably the you know the school street area over to now the pleasant street area 10 years ago you walked downtown and besides after you walked past uh the pleasant street intersection with uh, north main street you had the co-op and the food co-op and you had gibson's and uh, bread and chocolate and there really wasn't much else to walk down there for and a lot of people didn't now that has all completely changed the league of new hampshire craftsmen all what's going on now you got menino place um, now there's a direct connection to the Center for the Arts, uh, so people feel free to walk down there. So the whole uh, whole essence of downtown is changing, and this is going to add one more piece to, that, to tie it all together. Um, but you, So you have those types of efforts that continuing to go on. Um, I think there's going to be continued work in uh, what we're doing along. Obviously, we, there's money to redo Eagle Square right now. We're holding off on. We've done some pieces. We've we've fixed the fountain. Uh, there's a lot of brickwork that needs to be done in there. Uh, the tree needs to be rehabbed. The metal tree. But we're holding off on that to make that work directly with the downtown uh, complete streets project. So I think you're going to see after this construction project. You know, it'll take two years, but after it's all done, you will see a a different downtown and a downtown that's poised really for the next 25 or 50 years to really take off. Tom, as always, thanks for joining us uh, for the program. I uh, look forward to uh, Monday night's meetings at 7 o'clock and, of course, public with the opportunity to give their thoughts on the uh, Complete Streets Project. Great talking to you, Chris. Thomas Bell here on Hampshire Now on WKX 1-9-1450 and ConcordNewsRadio.com. I am Chris Ryan. Back with more after this. You're listening to Hampshire Now on WKXL, airing live weekdays at 10 a.m., re-airing weeknights at 6 p.m., Sundays at <laughs> It's all about the game, and how you play it. All about control. And if you can take it, it's all about your death. And if you can play it, it's all about me. And who's gonna make it? I am the game. You don't wanna play me. I am control. You're listening to the Hampshire Now on WKXL, airing live weekdays at 10 a.m. and re-airing weeknights at 6 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome back to New Hampshire Now on WKX on 1-9-1450 and ConcordNewsRadio.com. I am Chris Ryan, and thanks so much for joining us for the program. Of course, tonight down at the TD Garden in Boston, it's the Celtics and Matt Bonner, San Antonio Spurs, the annual trip uh, to Boston for Matt Spurs, an opportunity for those here in New Hampshire to watch him either in person down in Boston or on uh, TV play against uh, his uh, boyhood team growing up, the uh, the Boston Celtics. Matt had fallen out of the rotation for a couple of games uh, after a uh, stomach bug. Caught him out on their West Coast trip, but uh, played well on uh, Monday night in a loss to the Los Angeles Clippers. 
Shot four of six from the field, had 12 points. So uh, hopefully Matt will be uh, back in the rotation and in the lineup tonight in the big game against the Boston Celtics on Monday night on our Life with Matt Bonner radio show presented by Concord Dorothy Picks. We talked about the homecoming for Matt, and uh, here is that interview. It's always, for me, the, the most exciting game of the year. I get to come home, play in front of all my friends and family I grew up with back home, either uh, at the game or watching on TV. So just really excited to get back and, and play a good game. Is it true that the biggest goal for the Spurs at today's meeting is to not have to see Geno time uh, above the parquet floor. Geno, the dancing 70s guy, they break him out whenever the Celts are about to wrap up a win. It's like Red Auerbach's cigar. And how much does it hurt to see Geno at the Garden? Well, I'm going to have to give you the obvious answer, which is the goal of any any competitive game, whether it be basketball, scrabble, trouble, um, or in KG's case, go fish. Yeah, it's to win. It's to win. You know, regardless, but regardless of whether or not there's a uh, dancing '70s guy that signifies victory for the the opposing team, so I'm gonna have to go with that. How much do the Spurs hate the Celtics? I mean, every yeah. every opposing team dislikes these guys immensely. I mean, Kevin Garnett and his antics, Paul Pierce wears on guys. Rondo is a little punk. I mean, no, nobody likes the Celtics, right? Uh, I have no idea. I, we, I Come think, on uh, any, I don't think anyone on our team get Paul Pierce's wheelchair out. No, we all uh, we all actually have a lot of respect for the Celtics in, in that organization, and and uh, you know they're veteran guys who have who have won a championship and obviously been in contention every year since. So uh, definitely a, a team that that we. We think is a is a big win if we can beat them, especially on their home court. When um, they have starting introductions and you're you're you know you guys are lining up and the game's about to start, what are some of the things that are going through your mind, knowing how many people? I mean, are you kind of looking in the crowd? Can you see your parents? And is this like the most butterflies that you get before a game? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely the most butterflies before a game, and. You know, it's actually a combination of, of obviously, you know, everybody, everybody I know who's watching, but also, you know, watching the Celtics growing up, you know, from the earliest basketball memories, watching Bird and McHale, and Parrish and Ainge and all those, Dennis Johnson, you know, the list goes on and on of all the, all the different legends who have, who have played for that team, and uh, you know, to be able to go up against. That you know, see that name on that jersey that I'm playing against makes me think of that too, and uh, gets me extra excited. Is that Kevin Gray lurking behind my, my bench with the little flip camera? That's what's going through his mind right there. He's the only one who still uses one uses one of those things. It's true, and I think he's broke. The life of Matt Bonner, presented by uh, Concord Orthopedics, and uh, yeah, it's it's always awesome, and uh, to see so many people from Concord, from New Hampshire, come down and, and support Matt and get the opportunity. Uh, to see him play against the Celtics, and of course, there have been the, the great games against the Celtics in in recent years. And um, when you look at the 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 games for the Spurs, and when you take on, you know, whether it's the Lakers, the Heat, are those um, benchmark games for for you guys too? Even though you know who you are and you know where you're going to be, do you like to measure yourself? Because the Celtics have 
are six and five right now. They lost to uh, the Pistons last night, and the, people are looking at the Spurs and the Thunder because the Celtics are a revamped team, new bench, um, a little bit of a change in the distribution of wealth in regards to scoring. Uh, do you look at the Celtics game the same way that they're kind of looking at it as a, as a benchmark? Uh, I mean, it's tough to tough to tell. You know, I'm going to give you the uh, unhyped up answer, which is it's an 82 game season, and we're still on you know, the first 10 games of the year, basically. So uh, it is, is obviously a long way to go. But you know, as far as kind of an early season test, it doesn't get any uh, bigger than this. Whenever I uh, whenever I go around town, I get asked about one two people. Either is is KG. As fruity a guy as he seems on the radio, or I get asked a question about Matt. And the question lately has been, you know, I've been looking at the box scores and, and Matt hasn't been playing in some games. Why is that? Go. Well, I got the stomach flu, I guess it would be about two weeks ago now, and and was sick for three or four days, missed, missed two or three games during that stretch, being sick. And uh, I think that caused me to fall out, out of the rotation. And, with, you know, that's fine. We have a lot of depth. And uh, it's happened to me multiple times in my career. And, and it goes back to, you know, how you react when you when you face some adversity, when things don't go your way. And I've been trying to work extra hard, stay in shape, make sure I'm ready for, you know, when someone goes down or someone gets in foul trouble or, you know, I get my chance to get back in there for significant minutes, I'm ready. To, to kind of get that rotation spot back. That's kind of been my focus, just really trying to work hard on my game and staying in shape, staying sharp, so that once I get in, I, I'm ready to go. It's the life with Matt Bonnerson by Conqueror Orthopedics. And one of the things about Matt, too, is that Matt is genuine about all these things. He's a really good teammate, and he's not like A-Rod at the top bench of the, the dugout. When, when you see the Spurs having success late in the game, and if, even if against the Lakers, even when he didn't play, you were there, and you were into it, and you were excited. And uh, a lot of guys, I think it's a really good um, a lesson for people in life and in people in in sports is that you're even even though you may not be getting exactly what you want at that moment, big picture, you have to realize what you're a part of, and um, that's something that I admire about you. Because to be honest with you, I don't know if I could be as big as as you are in some moments where you don't get the opportunity to play and you put all the work in like you have and. But you always you always shine brightly in those moments, and uh, I'm going to start crying a little yeah, bit right I, now. I I didn't even mention that because I, I assumed it was a given. But yeah, you're right. Whether you're in the game or not, you got to do everything you can to help your team win. Whether that's uh, cheering your teammates on, uh, you know, helping helping the younger guys with with set plays coming out of a timeout, making sure they're going to be in the right spot, or uh, you know, picking up on things and relaying messages to your teammates or your coaches during the game, you know, just staying involved however you can and uh, being a good teammate. And, and like I said, just doing whatever you can to help your team. Uh, that's, that's a given as well. Spurs come in tonight with a record of eight and three Celtics at six and five tip off around seven forty tonight. You can watch that on uh, Comcast Sportsnet channel uh, eight fifty two. If you want to go down to Boston, you can probably find some uh, cheap tickets for the event, seeing the Thanksgiving uh, is tomorrow if you check uh, some of the websites uh, online. Thanks so much for joining us for New Hampshire Now. I'm Chris Ryan. Coming up in just a little bit on the show, we'll talk with Brian McGrory, longtime uh, Boston Globe columnist. Uh, he has a new book out, 
and uh, we'll be talking with him about that. Coming up next on Hampton Now on WKX 1450 and ConcreteNewsRadio.com. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Hampton Now on WKXL, airing live weekdays at 10 a.m., re-airing weeknights at 6 p.m. and Sundays at noon. The horror had a grocery have gone away. WKXL, airing live weekdays at 10 a.m. and re-airing weeknights at 6 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome back here on Hampshire Now on WKXL 1-9, ConcordNewsRadio.com. I am Chris Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us for the program. I'm going to be joined right now by longtime and well-known Boston Globe columnist Brian McGrory here on the Hampshire Now program. He has a new book out, Buddy, How Rooster Made Me a Family Man. Brian, how are you? I'm great, Chris. How are you? Great. I appreciate you joining us uh, for the program. Well, I just got the book this morning, and I started to delve into it a little bit. A little bit. And when I first started to read the premise of this, I was wondering how it was possibly going to work. But as I went along through this book, it is fabulous. And um, it, it's really interesting because as we grow older in our lives, we always try to to look for things to to try to equate ourselves to and also to, to figure out the direction that we're going to go in in our lives. And it's, it's very intriguing, and, uh, and I congratulate you on the little bit that I've read so far. Well, I really appreciate that because it's kind of a coincidence. When I started writing the book, I was wondering how it's going to work. Uh, so <laughs> uh, you weren't alone in thinking that if you were reading it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because it's, it, you know, on its face, Chris, it's, it's a book about, uh, my relationship with a, a, a rooster that was a family pet of the woman and the children who I, you know, came to be in a blended family with. But beyond that, it, it, it really is a story about, um, uh, you know, the unique role of step parents and the trials and tribulations that go into uh, ascending to that role, uh, the triumphs you can feel, the work it takes. Um, and finding, you know, uh, uh, finding second acts in life as well. Did you have to sell the the, the publisher on on the concept? Because obviously, you're an individual who has, um, you know, a great track record. If it was if it was Chris Ryan walking into a publisher saying, "I want to write the story about how I came to to learn a lot about myself and also um, fit, find my way into a family life via Rooster," it probably wouldn't have have gone as well. But was there was there any pushback against it? Or and, and you obviously mentioned you had your, a little bit of a trepidation of your own well that that was a weird part and it's a really good question it's the the genesis of the book uh, the idea for the book came when my agent from new york was up in boston for dinner and he came to um i just moved into this house in the suburbs i spent my entire adult life in in boston in back bay and um 
came to my house in the suburbs, you know, I'm with Pam, with her kids. Uh, I'm in this really foreign place for me. I'm terrified of her children at this point. Uh, uh, really fish out of water, uh, pardon the cliche. And he comes with a mutual friend for dinner, and they're walking up to my front door, and Buddy comes barreling out from behind a bush. He had the run of the yard. And Buddy comes barreling out from behind a bush. Buddy is the rooster and pecks our mutual friend right in the leg and draws blood. And my agent and I are laughing so hard at dinner we could barely eat. And my agent kept telling me, there's a book in this. There is a book in this. And I said, what do you mean? There's not a book about a chicken. And he said, no, no, no. It's a book about transitions. It's a book. Buddy is a symbol for all these massive transitions you're making. Uh, um, you know, moving to suburbia, living with children, taking on the role of a stepfather, uh, uh, you know, finding love in your in, in in a late stage in life. This is a book, and I, at first I didn't believe him. It took me months to put a short proposal together. When we did, he brought it to uh, publishing houses in New York. We had four publishing houses bidding on this thing over the course of a week, and I, I just I couldn't get my head around it to tell you the truth. Yeah, it's amazing, and uh, as I mentioned, I just read a little bit of it so far, and um, I think that it, it's it speaks to what a lot of people go through in life. And uh, as we know, most, or not, if not most, uh, at least half of uh, first marriages end in divorce, and then when there's divorce, you find yourself moving into situations where you may be comfortable with one individual, but you have to be comfortable with a number of individuals, and then you add the the comedic element to it with with Buddy and. Not only does it seem like when you start to really peel back the layers, not only does it seem like it's something that is a fabulous read, but it seems like it has that, that extra level type of quality as well in terms of perhaps motion picture or at least a TV series. Well, I appreciate you saying that. They, uh, they were or they are shopping it around, but who knows what hits out in, um, in that universe and what doesn't. I'm, you know, I'm. I was hesitant about making it a book. Now I'm delighted that we did. It, it seems to be off to a very good start. Um, People Magazine gave it a, a great little blurb uh, in the current issue as a recommended book. It's gotten a great review in the Globe and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm content with it as a book right now. Who knows what might happen from there? I'm interested in, and I don't want to ruin too much because I haven't uh, gotten deep into the book yet, but. Does Buddy come around on you? I mean, because he's 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 the male of the household, and as you mentioned, he's very territorial. With, with when your agent and mutual friend came over, is is Buddy? Are you guys boys now? Are you guys kicking a few back uh, on uh, on weekends watching the Patriots? Well, it, it's not at that level, or it never got to that level. Um, Buddy died in May. He died of a heart attack, but before he died. You know, look, he he tried to make my life miserable. He didn't understand what I was doing there. He uh, he thought he had it all covered with his flock, which is Pam and her two kids. And if if he was uh, there, he never understood what the point of me was. So he tried to make my life miserable. He would chase me around the yard. He would try to peck at my legs. He'd hide in the bushes and jump out at me. He'd hear me on the phone like this, and he'd come to my window and just start screaming and crowing. Um, whereas with Pam, he was all, you know, clucky and, uh, uh, wide eyed and would follow her around like a puppy dog. Um, eventually, uh, you know, I started looking at him realizing this creature's got it all figured out. I mean, he's so content with his own little world here, his life within the fence, his flock, so committed to everything he has. It is corny as it sounds. I started realizing I- I've got a be more like him, a little less worried about what I'm missing, a little more, a little more devoted to what I have, 
And so I started appreciating him a little more. He started growing a little more accepting of me. We were never close, but we did reach a stage of detente. Final thing, I think that that's a fabulous point, and it does it is corny, and particularly for you know for guys to t- talk about it. But when I, I love to go to the New England Aquarium, particularly with my my young sons, and you look at the penguins, and you look at the uh, the group together, and the simplicity of of their lives, the the loyalty, although there is bickering. Um, I feel that we can learn so much from uh, from from all that is around us, uh, and it's this book speaks to that. And I think that there is a lot to be learned from whether it's you know our dog, our cat, and that that interspecies relationship that that takes place. Uh, I think that that's something that there is definitely something there for for us to learn from. I mean, it really, it's exactly right, Chris. I mean, and, and much of the book deals with a dog I had uh, who's, who's been gone about eight years now, Harry, who really taught me how to open up and how to bring people or creatures in and how to give more of myself. And then Buddy ended up being, you know, my own personal drill sergeant uh, in terms of adjusting to life in the suburbs and uh, committed life with uh, uh, kids and all of that kind of stuff. You really do draw lessons from animals and you, you draw lessons all around you. And, 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 you know, if it works well and I can't say it does, but I hope it does, if it works well, that's what this book is about. Blended families, commitment, finding, you know, second acts. Well, it's good stuff. And, uh, came out uh, via crown last uh, Tuesday. So it's been out for a week. Uh, Brian, appreciate you joining us uh, for the program. Chris, thanks so much for having me. I really uh, I really appreciate you having me on up there in New Hampshire. No problem. Brian McGrory here in New Hampshire now on WKX. I want to dine and ConcordNewsRadio.com. Longtime well-known Boston Globe reporter, editor, and columnist. Uh, the new book, uh, as I mentioned, Buddy, How a Rooster Made Me a Family Man. And as I mentioned, when you first, you first see the book, you first uh, start to think about it, like, how is this going to work? And then the next thing you know, you, you can't put it down. All right, so uh, that is the show for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us for the New Hampshire Now program. Hope everybody has a uh, safe and uh, very happy Thanksgiving, one of uh, the great American holidays, an opportunity to spend uh, much-needed time with uh, friends and family. Again, I am Chris Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us uh, for New Hampshire Now. Have a fabulous Thanksgiving, everybody. Listening to New Hampshire Now on WKXL, airing live weekdays at 10 a.m. and re airing weeknights at 6 p.m. and Sundays at noon. For you, grace less later. You know how I am. You know I can't let you slide through my hands. Cause wild horses can't try.